All right. Welcome to Hellbender, a podcast of the Department of Sociology and Anthropology in Warren Wilson College, coming to hear from the damp, dank basement of the library. I don't remember what the name of the library is. Do either of you know what the name of the library is? The Ellison Ellison Library? Yeah, or is it Ellison? Of course, Gemma knows. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a learning center, not oh, a library. Oh, Pew, Pew Learning Center. <laughs> oh, Pew Learning Center and something library. Well, that's where we are. We're down here as if we were under a rock. My name, by the way, is Ben Feinberg. I'm a professor of anthropology here. And why is this podcast called the Hellbender Podcast? Well, because the Hellbender is a unique salamander native to Warren, not to Warren Wilson, to Western North Carolina an endangered animal also known as the lasagna lizard and the snot otter, among other things. And we kind of feel like the hellbender is a wonderful alternative mascot for Warren Wilson College. And today's hellbender fact is that um, male hellbenders create and guard the nests for the eggs of their children, but they also, when they're hungry, will eat the eggs. So this is a great example of the dialectic of care and predation, which we can apply to all kinds of other activities, such as education. We teachers uh, care for the development of our students, but are also not above destroying them or failing them or so on as, 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 it, as it becomes relevant. Which you're famous for. Anyway, today's episode brings to us, along with my uh, co-host today, Gemma Natanson, senior student in sociology and anthropology. We welcome Ben Ehring, another senior student in sociology and anthropology. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. Right. And so listeners should be aware that when one of us says Ben, we're referring to the other one of us. And you'll have to figure out from the differences in voice quality should so I try on. to mimic your voice to see if people can tell the difference? I, I think that that probably is virtually indistinguishable for our audience. Don't you think? <laughs> I think it could be close, yeah. Okay, excellent. So, um, Ben, I just want to start out today by um, welcoming you and also saying, how did you end up here at Warren Wilson College in Swannanoa? Well, that was a surprise because I applied to nine colleges, and I think... Warren Wilson was the only one within a thousand miles <laughs> of home, which is Charlotte, North Carolina for me. Um, I was set on going to school in California and I visited colleges out there and was very excited. And then I came to Warren Wilson and just had a really strong emotional connection to it for some reason. Um, it definitely spoke to me in my hippie phase <laughs> was part of it. Um, but mostly I was looking for <clears throat> a place that was ideologically the opposite of where I came from. I went to a K through 12 conservative Presbyterian school. So my only schooling experience before Warren Wilson was, um, in a model that I felt was, destructive and intellectually disengaged and um, I wanted a place where I would feel free to explore uh, higher learning but also explore my own relationships, explore my own 
gender and sexual identity um, without feeling constantly judged. So Warren Wilson was kind of felt like a place of freedom for me, and that's mostly what brought me here. I just thought it was delightfully weird. It felt like a breath of fresh air. So what was that transition like? I know like in the past sometimes students who came from particularly conservative backgrounds struggled with some of the elements of freedom when they got here because they perhaps dove into them to a greater degree than than otherwise or you know you you were clearly searching for something as you said that was the opposite of a system that you already felt was d repressive in some way so how how did you uh, adapt to that to that to that dilemma to that well, it was a very smooth transition because I went from having no sex ed to having condoms thrown at me um, mm -hmm. in the sex, drugs, <laughs> and rock and roll orientation session. So um, <laughs> it was very easy. Um, no, but I never really... It was definitely what people call a culture shock, right? There was a lot of language that was new to me. There were a lot of behaviors that were pretty new to me, um, but none of it really made me uncomfortable or scared or nervous. Um, I was just really excited to kind of dive into that, but I'm not, I'm certainly impulsive, as Gemma can attest to, but I'm not really an overly indulgent person. So freedom for me did not mean binge drinking or trying cocaine or things <laughs> like that, that maybe it is for other people. And I think that's okay too, but that was not my process. It was more just, I can finally breathe. Okay. Yeah. And so you came here and I think you, from what I hear, adjusted pretty well academically, but then you left and came back. And so tell us Sorry just a little that. bit about that leaving and coming back. Um, you know, I guess we had to let you go to see if you would come back. And if you didn't, <laughs> yeah, to see what you really have to offer. No, um, I don't know. In hindsight, I, I it was weird that I left um, because I was very happy. But it's easier to see that now than than it was in the moment. I th think the main thing for me was I had such a positive college experience at Wilson that I thought I could go somewhere else and find the same things, but in a different place. And so because Swananoa was a hard adjustment for me, um, I felt like I want to be a part of a community like Warren Wilson that's also in a big urban center. And so I went to Occidental thinking that it would be another delightfully weird place full of nice people who want to get to know me. Um, but in Los Angeles, and unfortunately it was not that. I had a really negative experience there. And after some more transferring around, I kind of just came to the conclusion that I was really happy at Warren Wilson and should just go back. And I'm very glad I did. Excellent. And we were waiting for you. Gemma was waiting for you. All of us were here. Um, <laughs> with open arms. With open arms. Um, that's great that you found this a kind of welcoming place where people are not necessarily judged. As you may recall from last, our first podcast, the last podcast where we spoke with Gemma, she expressed um, some elements that that wasn't 100% true. That is yeah. that there are still elements of judgment that characterize part of college culture. Um, one thing I really appreciate about my guest, Ben Ehring, is his clear love of 
of malls, and um, which is interesting considering that Ben is Gen Z and I am Gen X. And I think of Gen Z as a kind of post-mall Amazon delivery uh, uh, generation. Um, I grew up in the 80s, which was perhaps the heyday of mall culture. Uh, I grew up, I, I went to probably was in high school or maybe college when Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out. <laughs> it's had high school kids hanging out in malls and working at Orange Julius, which I don't know if Orange Julius still exists as a sort of anchor of the food court in the mall. Uh, and in Tucson, Arizona, where I grew up, um, kids hanging out during the day in malls and often get in big groups or getting into fights was something of a moral panic. And, and police would come in and sometimes kick out high school kids. Um, what, where did your enthusiasm for the American mall come from? Have you seen the movie Mall Rats? No. Have you, Gemma? I have not. I think Alex Smith is the director's name. It's a movie, a cult classic about a group of people, some guys that are probably in their 20s or early 30s um, who are just by standard measurements kind of worthless, lazy, disrespectful people. Um, whose pastime is to hang out in the mall where some of them work. Um, and they're just horrible people, total pollution to the suburban dream of the American shopping mall. And I always thought that movie was iconic because it represented people in a suburban area who were using the space that was kind of the icon of the suburbs, especially in the 80s and 90s, um, but kind of using and abusing it in a way. And I grew up in a wealthy suburban part of Charlotte where we did go to the mall and that was a, a favorite pastime of mine. But the older I got, the more kind of alienated I felt from this suburban lifestyle. And so part of my fascination with, with malls is the way that it embodies a certain image of American life. And then also I have kind of the desire to <laughs> um, disrupt that a little bit and be one of those people who people are really annoyed by when they're in the mall. And, you know, there's always that group of teens who is really obnoxious. And, um, yeah, like I always wanted to go as a kid. I had this dream of going all the way the wrong way on the escalator. Like yeah. one day I would, that would be so cool to do. <laughs> and I never did it. And, and, and yet people do stuff like that in malls. And Yeah, but I feel like, so I feel like my relationship with malls is partly one of nostalgia. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm a very nostalgic person. And so I'm often overwhelmed by a desire to do something that I used to do. And then the other part is that now that I've learned new things and discovered new things about myself and about the world, I want to go back to the mall and have a different relationship with the mall and one that's kind of more critical, one that's more playful, mm -hmm. not just, oh, I'm here to shop and buy things for myself to look nice at school. It's like, how can I indulge in this weird icon of American life that's probably going to die out? 
Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, people would see malls as this kind of triumph of a kind of alienating consumerism. But on the other hand, uh, it represents for other people a space of community, totally. uh, not necessarily of shopping, but of sociability, of hanging out. And as after the 70s, people became so consumed with fear about the environment for children and adolescents, there were fewer and fewer kind of spaces where teenagers could hang out and make their own. And the mall was one of those few spaces that mm -hmm. people could really do that in and shape around their own interests and concerns in a way that's even more absent today as people don't even get to go to the mall. They're staying home. They're interacting online. And, you know, the malls that are left are, are there are many, so many dead malls. In Asheville, there was a great dead mall called the Innsbruck Mall. And I loved going there because, you know, there's this, this, this dark, empty escalator. And up there, there's like one kind of minor DMV office and an accountant and then maybe like a, a store selling cheap furniture and then everything else is closed. The cheap furniture store is always the last thing standing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the dead malls in Charlotte, the, the only thing left is a, a cheap furniture store. So good for them. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, as one goes through being a college student, eventually at Warren Wilson College, one has to do a thesis or capstone exercise that requires a pretty significant amount of work. And I think there's a nice segue because your research topic um, begins, in, begins in the mall. It begins with a particular store in the mall that I've always seen and I, I pretty much never went into. But you apparently found the store much more meaningful to your development and did go into. You, you crossed that threshold into hot topic. So, so let's take a, a, explain a little bit about how you came to your topic and uh, topic, get it? How you get came to your subject, why this excited you, and what is it you wanted to explore uh, through it? The funny thing is I don't even remember coming to the conclusion that I wanted to do my thesis on Hot Topic. <laughs> so I don't know how detailed my description of that process could be, but I knew that I wanted to do something. It was always just inside you waiting to come out. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. I was born to study Hot Topic. Yeah. I was born this way, if you will. Um, <laughs> But I really wanted to study something involving fashion, something involving the way we adorn our bodies and why we're doing that. Um, and I have a particular interest personally in, in high fashion, um, but I didn't want to do a thesis that would only feel relevant to a couple of people, and I didn't want to do a thesis that... Um, in, in which accessibility would, would pose a threat to the research. And so I thought, where could I go to study adornment? Where could I go to study the way we present our identities through material in, in really interesting and spectacular ways? Um, and I thought of Hot Topic, which is a store that I went to mostly kind of at the end of middle school, early high school, and then kind of moved on to other stores. But it was a formative shopping experience for me because <clears throat> Hot Topic kind of embodied um, a dark, scary corner on the margins of the shopping mall. And so I always was so fascinated about 
a store that is in a shopping mall full of families that has a very kind of light, airy, perfume-smelling feel to it. Um, and then you can walk into this uh, dungeon and be immersed in kind of a different world inside of a, inside of a world. And so it was, there, there was a certain indulgence to shopping at Hot Topic. There was a certain rebellion, even if only playful and superficial, um, in shopping at Hot Topic. And so I figured that it would be interesting to study other people who had similar experiences. And I wanted to really ask, what is the significance of Hot Topic? How is it able to be so successful in its brick and mortar retail spaces? What is it offering to people that's so significant? Um, and I, I wanted to sort of explore identity and, and the way identity is um, visually explained um, at Hot Topic. Yeah, so going back to the mall thing then, you know, the mall a lot of people see as a kind of flattened out, alienating, empty, homogeneous expression of American consumerism. But from the perspective of actual users from their own social positions, um, that landscape can take on different contours and characteristics, and you're finding something there. Uh, you know, of course, we could remember that and as a middle school student, something coming from what you've described as a very conservative, uh, private Christian school, um, seeing them all as an opportunity to uh, escape from something and to express something else. And, and throughout the world, you see that. Uh, you know, anthropologists who studied malls in places like Iran or India see that they become highly contested sites that may be seen as dangerous, that certain corners of the mall are places where people go to express a kind of critical modernity, or in the case of Iran, a rejection of some of the repressive values that they associate with the state, even though an outsider from the United States might say it's just you know, the Orange Julius knockoff or something. So um, were you, just to, you know, to, to, to back up here, you started shopping at the mall, you're going to a, 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 a very conservative school, were you able to sort of, I mean, at, at the Hot Topic, were you able to sort of ultim, openly flaunt the kind of things that you bought there in that environment, or were those kind of um, kept for other purposes? I didn't even buy that many things at, at Hot Topic because mm -hmm. I think for me it was, I was still in a process of negotiating, negotiating mm -hmm. what I'm going to take from or leave behind um, from the experience of conservative Christianity. Um, and so I think when I started shopping at Hot Topic, I wasn't even sure if I liked it. I was just enticed by it. Um, and I think to take a step back, I also wanted to say, I just think it's always more complicated than it seems. Mm -hmm. And I think the easy way out is to argue that malls are just havens of consumerism and they represent the decline of kind of a, a dynamic social um, people. And, and I think that that is too simplistic. And so I, I wanted to kind of contest that, that notion of the mall as only degrading and see, well, how is it a site of resistance for people? How is it a site of excitement for people? And so I thought Hot Topic would be such an interesting place for that. 
because in going back to the question you asked me, for me, it really was one of the first material spaces that I was exposed to that had people within a suburban surroundings who were visually very different from what I was used to. There's a an intentional kind of disruption to the standards of fashion and presentation and seriousness that we had in that area. So I think, and I think that's what it is for a lot of people who shop at Hot Topic, especially the small town and suburban Hot Topics, which um, represent most of the people I've interviewed. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can connect that to my own experience. You know, this feeling of alienation from my public high school, not not quite the same as, as yours, and then the sense of discovery that there are alternatives and how important that was and that those alternatives are spatially located somewhere. You know, for me, it might be the, the little punk rock record store uh, a block away from the university campus in another part of town from where I lived. Um, you may have not been in a place that had that particular option that was accessible to you, and so you discover it somewhere else, this idea that there is some tiny rupture in the universe that, that represents some other possibility uh, and that there is something right with me for recognizing that there is something wrong in the rest of my experience. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of reflecting on, on what Ben is saying here, Ben A is saying here, um, I think what's interesting about Hot Topic specifically is that it's also kind of indexical to not only like a subcultural style, but also a subcultural like music scene and it's it sort of plays on other aesthetics of kind of deeper subcultural spaces like you have the little plastic studded bracelets that you can buy at hot topic which are meant to kind of replicate a cheaper sort of more accessible option to the like studded appearance of you know kind of deeper quote unquote more authentic uh, punk spaces and you know there's yeah. the, the infamous t-shirt wall where they have all these bands that you know are of the pop punk kind of variety so I think there's an interesting like hybrid space with Hot Topic as like a foray into deeper subcultural spaces. Yeah exactly it serves as an entry point into subcultures um, that people in a lot of these areas don't have access to otherwise and so seeing it as kind of um, a gateway into the subcultural underground or kind of a taste of a community that you're searching for that you haven't found yet. I mean, that's what I, Hot Topic is one of the only stores that, is thri that it has thrived during really the economic collapse of most malls um, and even during the pandemic. So there must be something that they're offering that's really... Um, psychologically and culturally significant and um, and that's kind of where where my thesis takes up it is um, why what is the role of kind of developing a subcultural identity why do certain youth feel the the deep need to express an identity outside of what they have just inherited or what has been given to them or shown to them. Um, and like Ben was saying just a bit ago, not everyone has St. Mark's Place. Not everyone has 
the anime convention. For some people, Hot Topic is the only option. Um, and then usually it, Hot Topic is kind of the gateway drug of subcultures. <laughs> like, that's just where you start. And so most people, for most people, Hot Topic represents a phase that they outgrow, which is reflected in a lot of the interviews I've done. But that doesn't make it any less significant because it's it's part of this journey of identity formation. Mm-hmm. And it's about not just white identity or American national identity. It's something that you can take ownership of and something that you can express in creative ways. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Yeah. And so you you decided you wanted to explore this um, because of these own sort of experience you had personally. How did you go about finding people who uh, to talk to about their experiences with Hot Topic? I already had a couple people in mind when I decided on the topic. Um, friends that I have that I know were also very passionate Hot Topic shoppers and actually far more passionate than I was because, like I said, it was kind of a a time of negotiation for me. Um, so some of it was just personal connections, but then I also um, administered a survey, um, which was shared among all Warren Wilson College students. And there was a really passionate response. A lot of people who responded to the survey um, volunteered their information saying that they wanted to be interviewed and they wanted to talk about their experience at Hot Topic, which just showed again that this is a space that's really exciting and meaningful to a lot of people, even though it's a space that a lot of, you know, punks and people really immersed in subcultures would kind of turn their nose up to. And it's a place where um, a lot of people really indebted to hegemonic family values are disgusted by. But for a lot of people, it it's a really important place because it, it contests those notions. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of different, as you are well aware of, different kind of uh, theoretical perspectives in the research about youth subcultures. And, you know, one of them, um, you know, Sarah Thornton's take emphasizes the importance of kind of subcultural capital or demonstrating one's authenticity or hipness by contrasting it to people with less subcultural category who are seen as inauthentic or superficial. And so in the past, when I've had, you know, some of my students mention Hot Topic, they often do so in a slightly disparaging, perhaps even embarrassed way, you know, because it may represent to them this kind of lower level of authenticity, you know, what... And, and almost embarrass them with that point that that was their gateway drug. Uh, but that may have more to do with their attempt to um, represent themselves as having more status, more immersion in the real thing than it does with some, you know, actual lameness of the store, the people who, who go there. Yeah. Ha- have you encountered that kind of, you know, you've talked about nostalgia, but maybe that idea of nostalgia tinged with a little bit of a embarrassment. Yes, um, definitely. One of my interviewees was reluctant to <laughs> share. One of the questions I ask is, "Is can you describe the way you felt when you first started shopping at Hot Topic? Um, 
And there, for a lot of interviewees, but especially this one, there is embarrassment around that because looking back, it's like, well, what was so special about Hot Topic? It's just a store in the mall. That's ridiculous. Um, but then when you put yourself back in that place um, and position yourself as a, as a young, new Hot Topic shopper, um, you, you remember what it felt like. You remember what stepping into the darkness felt like. Um, and so that's that first step is I, I think often riddled with anxiety and, um, and it's a, the place where you start is often a place where, like you said, other people will look at you and laugh and say, oh, they have no idea what they're doing. They're just wearing this T-shirt at Hot Topic because they're trying to be something that they're not. They're trying to search for this, search for that. Um, but I did have, so yes, I have encountered that. I also, I interviewed someone who is, who participates in the, in the local DIY punk scene in, in Asheville, who is a punk musician um, and definitely kind of a, a core member of the subculture. And, um, they said, actually, the worst part of punk subculture is that it's gatekeepy. And they said, so I love Hot Topic because it represents kind of an opening of those gates mm -hmm. and actually allowing people to explore something that we had the privilege of recognizing earlier that was very important for us. So I think there is some judgment and there is some... Um, subcultural superiority um, that happens in this conversation but there's, al there's also a lot of recognition that well for a lot of people this is just where you start and that's important and we can celebrate that yeah I like that you talk about that first step like crossing the threshold right crossing the threshold as a symbol of a rite of passage that first step into liminality into this feeling where um you know, you're between social categories and that that immediately, you know, goes from the outside world in behind that door that seems like a little bubble. And then once you're inside that door, it can seem like that's the whole world and the outside world is just yeah. uh, a, a bubble outside. That's really deep. And I could tell a really quick story that yeah. I feel like illustrates something related to this point. One of my first shopping experiences at Hot Topics was with my grandma and so we were in Virginia Beach um, and we went to the mall together one of the things that my grandma and I share is our love of malls we love going to malls walking around going into stores and such and I wanted to go into Hot Topic and I asked her to come in with me she reluctantly came in with me heard the music they were playing, which was a pretty heavy metal for Hot Topic. I, it was a little bit surprising. It was, you know, heavy metal, which is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, you know, it's dark, it's loud, it's cramped, it's colorful. There's a lot going on. And a lot of what's going on in the store to a lot of people signifies kind of a rejection of the values that they hold. And that was true for my grandma. So my grandma walks out of the store. She's a little bit disgusted and confused. Um, 
And that was important to me, which sounds weird. Um, but I was seeing, wow, this store is very powerful. People are disgusted by it. Um, and so for me to be able to kind of embody that disruption to these conservative Christian values, which were really um, kind of poison for me and my um, development. Um, that was really important to me, and I think that that was reflected in a lot of other narratives that I've, that I've been told, is that it's about representing something through style it's um, about representing a, a contrast, um, representing a, a challenge to what is accepted. Mm -hmm. I was curious, Ben, in, in reflecting on that, because I know that we've had some, some discussions sort of just privately about kind of your expectations around what hot topic serves for particularly white suburban youth. And I know that you've noted that that your hypothesis has kind of changed and shifted and, and evolved as you've been doing these interviews and doing these surveys and whatnot. Um, and I guess kind of connected to, to that anecdote that you were sharing, what sort of conclusions are you coming to around how whiteness interacts with uh, or white youthness interacts with, with Hot Topic? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... I'm glad that you brought up that my hypothesis has certainly been challenged, um, which is important. I don't think we're doing good research if our <laughs> hypothesis is just being consistently confirmed. Um, I came into this research um, kind of backing a theoretical perspective that said um, having white identity um, requires you to give up something um, and having a white identity necessitates kind of a, a cultural emptiness that you're buying into, right? Because whiteness was invented. Um, it's something with a history and it's something that was built to serve a particular purpose at a particular time. And that purpose was to benefit some people, people who could be understood as white, and that was to marginalize people who would not be understood as, as white. And that was, of course, a deliberate process. So going into it, I was, you know, reading all of these theoretical takes within critical whiteness studies that shows, well, because it's so alienating to have this white identity upon recognizing that it's the dominant one, that it... Um, that it has a terrible history um, makes people want to go look for something else. Oh my gosh, how can I get out from under this whiteness? I don't want to be understood as white. Um, I just want to be a, a person. I just want to, you know, be my own person, do my own thing. So that's where we go to adopt a subcultural identity, which... Um, can kind of replace or outweigh or distract from white identity. So I was going into it with a very clear position that white youth go to Hot Topic to escape whiteness. It's called self-marginalization, where people are trying to align themselves 
with the margins so that they can feel less white um, and so that they can align themselves with non-white people. Um, and of course, that is... Um, I don't like to use the word problematic. I know Ben hates that word too, but <laughs> it's it's complicated um, to to see that process as really resistant to anything because it's just about individualism and it's about me being able to do this for myself. Um, and so I was very critical of Hot Topic going into it um, because I thought it was about individual people looking to make themselves look different so that they didn't have to confront their whiteness. Um, but of course that's been challenged because people don't necessarily think of racial identity in, the, in those terms. Not everyone is an anthropologist, not everyone is a sociologist. Um, and I had one interviewee who said, um, basically, this is paraphrasing, that being white means that you have all these expectations on you, um, that you're going to be this person, you're going to do these certain things. And for this person, Hot Topic was a way to kind of get out from under those expectations. Um, because the power of whiteness is not just in that it is restraining and that it is crippling, um, but the power of whiteness is that it produces things, it produces certain behaviors, um, and that ties into Foucault's conception of power as productive. Like, power is mm -hmm. not just about repression. It's about building systems that produce something in favor of particular people. And so I started to see, actually, maybe Hot Topic is resistant in a way um, because people are, you know, going up against these expectations and saying, I recognize what I'm supposed to be doing as a white person. Um, I know these are the things I'm supposed to be doing. These are the things I'm supposed to be saying. I'm not going to do those things. Um, and so even if it is individualistic, um, it, it is at least um, a reckoning with whiteness. It's an imperfect reckoning with whiteness, um, which is a very pervasive construct. And so I think that that's important. And that has... It's just complicated my research and has made my hypothesis um, kind of precarious, which is good. So I, I think that I have a more nuanced understanding of Hot Topic and that there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad. Yeah, I mean, I can see one potential critique, not just of Hot Topic, but of kind of rebellious youth styles among relatively pri privileged people in general, which is that that kind of adult legitimacy comes from being able to say, oh, you know, I, re I, I escaped it. I, I went outside. I, was, I, mean, I, 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 can't, I became an individual who rebelled in a kind of ritualized, sometimes licensed way. And then when I come back to the privilege, it's like I've earned it because I'm coming back to it from nothing. So, you know, that's one kind of critique. Um, but yeah, everything, like you said, is complicated. That We can't come into something like this with a purely critical perspective uh, that says, for example, it's all about appropriation. It's all about um, 
or or it's all about resistance, right? That that resistance and accommodation, you know, are in, entangled with each other in many ways that are impossible to pull out. Like we begin my subculture class with the question, are subcultures spaces where alternatives to dominant hierarchical social practices and norms can can be expressed or are they simply alternative spaces for the recreation of hierarchical norms and the answer is usually both right yeah um, it always is um you know that those aren't o- always easy to disentangle in some obvious way um as well so all right so you're doing what have been like one of the biggest challenges here i, I get the sense your research you started out with people you knew you went through uh did did you did you find more interviewee subjects through other forms of uh, uh, of, of of reaching out? Um, and what were some of the challenges in putting together this project, which is of course not done yet, but um, you're pretty much done with with actually getting research. I guess now's the the easy part of just writing it up. Yeah, and I'm still going to spend some more time at Hot Topic um, at Asheville Mall doing some participant observation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, most of my interviewees were recruited through the survey, people volunteering, saying that they wanted to be interviewed. And so that was actually definitely not a challenge. One of the easiest things about this research was that, to my surprise, this was something that people were really interested in talking about. So that was great. So one of my struggles has not been finding people to talk to, finding people to interview. That's been easy. Um, I would say what's been really most challenging is limiting the scope of the research and directing interview questions um, in a particular way because I felt like I was limiting the conversation to particular topics and I didn't want to do that, but I also know, of course, I can't cover every single thing about Hot Topic in my 30-page thesis. Um, which sounds long, but really isn't for, I mean, to explore an entire phenomenon. Um, and so I, I, Hot Topic is also famous for being kind of a a sanctuary for queerness. Um, and it's not just white youth, it's queer white youth. Um, to qualify that statement, all, everyone I've interviewed, white and non-white, defined Hot Topic as a white space. So that's not just mm. my words or observations. That's that's what that's generally understood to be the case. Um, but the hardest thing is 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 leaving those things out because I would also love to talk about um, how racial identity interacts with sexual identity and how that's negotiated in a retail space, not just racial identity interacting with subcultural identity because of course all of this is intersectional so i would say the main challenge hasn't been in recruiting people but in limiting the scope of the conversation with these people who want to talk about other things um so i think there's so much more to be done yeah um you know one i guess maybe final question although we can add some more things as we go you guys are gen z and i am uh Gen X. And it's very trendy these days to talk about these generational categories, millennials and so on, in very, as it, you know, to, to emphasize difference, to emphasize change. And there's something in your project that really feels to me like there's also a space in American culture where this is a kind of intergenerational continuity, right? Here's this thing that has had similar meanings, maybe, 
for people who are now 40 or 45, you know, as it's been around for a while. And so it's not just about generational change, although malls are dying, sadly. Um, but Hot Topic's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Even if the mall dies, it's going to be there. Yeah, Even absolutely. Even after the nuclear war, which is about to happen, <laughs> absolutely, there will be it'll people be in Hot Topic. Buried underground, but still with the exact same vibe. The only people who will survive will be the people who are working at Hot Topic. That is a beautiful vision of the future, I have to say. Um, but any any um, sense of this generational kind of thing, uh, where what is the meaning of subculture in some way? Do you think different for people your age? than it might be for 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, what strikes me, of course, is that time has become somewhat flattened out. I see people wearing the same T-shirts of bands that I saw live 35 years ago or something like that, and they're still contemporary in a way. But uh, is there anything else or anything you want to add to uh, that, that looks at, at generation and, and time? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to do with this thesis is incorporate a lot of sources that would not be considered academic because I think that's very important and I think the practice of anthropology should be more accessible because it is about it's about everyday life and about everyday people and why we're doing the things that we're doing so one of my favorite non-academic sources was this video that is kind of a satire of Hot Topic um, and it's <clears throat> these actors playing employees at a hot topic um there's the store manager who was kind of new there and then there is an employee there who's been working there for like 15 20 years and that employee is complaining oh hot topic is dead this place isn't what it used to be um you know it used to be a safe haven for punks and now it's like uh pop cultural bullshit nonsense i, I don't know if i'm allowed to say that but um <laughs> And then the, the manager had a really interesting response, which was, isn't it possible that the anime nerds of today are fulfilling the same role as the punks of yesteryear? And I thought, wow, that was a really profound response for this like uh, satirical video about Hot Topic. And so that's kind of my answer is that I think, of course, subcultures will take different forms over time because there are different people have different interests. There are new things that, that people become obsessed with. Um, but I, I think that cross-generationally there is um, a really similar desire to be in a community that's organized around taste and something. Um, taste is very important to us. Um, maybe that's just capitalism conditioning us in a certain way maybe it is something internal maybe it's both maybe it's neither but i do think that we um really value being able to be around people and be in community with people who like some of the same things we like and so i think those things are changing but that desire is not changing mm -hmm. definitely i mean that brings us back full circle to the beginning of the conversation you talked about coming to warren wilson as part of your hippie phase um but Warren Wilson's style right now can't necessarily be as defined as hippie. No, so, definitely you know, not. that's changed. And you and Gemma, I must say to our listening audience, 
do not seem to embody hippie style at the moment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I guess I should have left that out. I should have instead talked about how hippie you looked and smelled <laughs> right now to confuse our audience. <laughs> no, but you. I, but I, uh, you know, being being, I explored different things. Um, I explored different ways to show people that uh -huh. I'm doing something different. Uh -huh. um, which goes back to th the challenge of it being individualistic and self-obsessed versus being actually productive or resistant. Um, but that was, that was one stop on the journey um, of kind of navigating what is my orientation to this particular social world, which I was uh, socialized in. And so, yeah, that gateway drug of, of taste continued to develop into other drugs. Yeah, but exactly. Harder drugs. <laughs> All right. And so with that, I think we're going to say goodbye for today. Thank you so much, Ben Ehring. Everyone come see Ben Ehring's capstone senior presentation at Warren Wilson College. Um, Which is up. when? We don't know. I think it's like the end of April. Yeah. April 25th or 26th. Oh, Gemma knows Stay tuned. everything. Gemma knows the name of the library and the date of the <laughs> Okay. So, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Ciao.